Live from New York, I'm Julian Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Sentiment stabilized, both presidential recovery and stimulus hopes calm global stocks. Presidential COVID watch, his doctors say he could be discharged as early as today. And Cineworld shut down COVID rules and a lack of new movies force hundreds of theaters to close. It's Monday, let's make a move. Welcome to First Move once again. I hope everybody had a safe and restful weekend. Coming up in the next hour, we'll bring you the very latest on the market, the political and the health implications of President Trump's COVID diagnosis. We'll be hearing from the chief scientist of Regeneron, the maker of the experimental antibody cocktail that the president was given to help fight the virus, plus market expert Alicia Levine on what markets are saying about who might be the eventual White House winner. For now, though, as I mentioned, equities have stabilized along with the president's health, at least according to his medical team. We're seeing shares gain across all major markets, which makes sense. The fear last week, I think, that the president might not be well enough to remain on the ballot. So we're walking back from there. What seemed to stabilize things, too, on Friday was a promise from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that help was, quote, imminent for beleaguered U.S. airlines. There's certainly an argument that the COVID carnage, and I'm quoting an investor this weekend, and the Republican Party may perhaps make them more agreeable to further aid. President Trump tweeted his support for a deal over the weekend. He's also been tweeting again this morning about his expectations for stocks next year, promising the best returns ever if he's re-elected. The S&P is up some 35% since Election Day 2016, but oh boy, has it been volatile? The big question now is whether the $2.2 trillion of additional stimulus that the House, the Democrats in the House are trying to come up with, is the price the president's willing to pay to boost his re-election chances. The markets don't need additional stimulus. The economy, people, small businesses do. Let's get to the drivers. The White House chief of staff says a decision whether to release President Trump from hospital will be made later today. It follows Sunday's impromptu drive-by around the Walter Reed Medical Center where he was being treated. Joe Johns has all the details. A political photo op meant as a show of strength, raising questions this morning about how seriously the White House is taking the president's COVID-19 diagnosis. President Trump being driven past supporters outside Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, seen through his SUV window, wearing a face mask and waving to his supporters, a member of his Secret Service detail in personal protective gear. The drive-by prompting outcry from medical experts who questioned Trump's judgment and his doctors. Amazingly irresponsible. Uh, his physician should have said no. An attending physician at Walter Reed Hospital who is not treating the president had this response. I have a hard time believing that without undue influence based on their um, chain of command, that those physicians would have cleared that. Masks or no masks, being inside a vehicle that is hermetically sealed uh, circulates virus inside and potentially puts people at risk. The White House saying this event was cleared by Trump's medical team. I don't think this was a stunt at all. I think this was President Trump uh, showing people that he's very gracious for the hospitality they've shown him. The president also releasing a video recorded in the hospital saying he had learned a lot about the virus more than eight months after the first U.S. cases were reported. 
I learned a lot about COVID. I learned it by really going to school. This is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school. And I get it and I understand it. Meanwhile, Trump's doctor saying he is receiving an aggressive cocktail of medications, including a five-day treatment of antiviral drug remdesivir, the steroid dexamethasone, and an experimental antibody treatment. But Trump's doctors are evading some direct questions about the president's condition. Trump's physician contradicting overly optimistic statements he made on Saturday, revealing that the president's blood oxygen levels dropped on both Friday and Saturday, and that he received supplemental oxygen at the White House on Friday. Dr. Sean Conley admitting his team had not fully disclosed the president's concerning condition. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something which wasn't necessarily true. The president has also been extremely active on Twitter this morning, firing off 18 tweets in less than an hour. Let's bring in CNN's John Harwood in Washington. Eye-opening events. John, again, words fail me over the weekend. The, the message from the president seems to be, I'm back, I'm tweeting, I'm okay to do a drive-by of, of supporters. But the mixed messages here, even from this White House, huge. Julia, we just don't know what to believe about the president's condition because uh, Dr. Conley acknowledged that he purposely misled the press about the status of the president. So when he came out... You know, after, in essence, radio silence from the administration on the president's condition on Friday, Dr. Conley came out uh, and said, well, he's doing well, good spirits, wouldn't say anything about how high his fever had been, wouldn't reveal that he had taken oxygen, uh, wouldn't reveal the contents of his lung scans to tell us whether his lungs had been damaged. We then learned uh, over the weekend that the president's taking this steroid, dexamethasone, which is typically only given to patients who are seriously ill. He also had the monoclonal antibodies. He had the Regeneron uh, uh, treatment. And so we we simply do not know uh, whether the president is about to be uh, all better and released. They haven't told us when his last negative test was, which would tell us how far along on the course of illness that he is, because this is a very unpredictable illness. And so sometimes if you get it uh, in the first couple of days, you can have misleadingly good days that suddenly take a turn for the worse. If he's been in it a week or more, 10 days, then that would be a more positive sign. But uh, since the White House is not providing uh, adequate information, it's very difficult for us to say. And uh, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, was just on, interviewed on Fox a short while ago, said that decision would be made later today. So we're left to wonder whether or not, Julia, the, they're saying that uh, he could be released today for the effect of conveying that he's a lot better or because he actually intends to be released today. It's quite astonishing, isn't it, John, this suggestion from, from his doctor that he was trying to be upbeat and sort of put a positive spin on it. It's a case of wanting the truth about the president's health rather than any form of spin, even when the, the medical community is suggesting perhaps that they're giving you a rosier picture than perhaps is required. Again, it comes back to the trust in science and the trust in those people around the president to tell the truth. 
That's right. And when you have doctors come out and brief on the condition of the president, which is a subject of worldwide interest, it's, it's not just of concern to Americans, but our allies, our adversaries, to know to what degree the president's in control and in charge. It's very important to provide accurate information. I remember when Ronald Reagan was shot in 1981. They had briefings at George Washington University Hospital where the president was being cared for providing very detailed information about how the president was doing. Uh, and that is a way of inspiring confidence uh, in the American people. And it kind of mirrors the president's approach to coronavirus. He told Bob Woodward he wanted to downplay the situation in order to avoid inspiring panic in the country. But in reality, the more you give it to the American people straight, prepare them for what's to come, that's how you prevent panic over the medium and long term. It's not just about the moment that you're giving the information. It's about inspiring confidence that you know what you're doing, your team knows what it's doing, and it's competently running the government and uh, taking care of the situation. Well, the president now says he's been uh, schooled in what COVID actually is uh, seven months later. John Harwood, thank you so much for that. You bet. Investors remain on presidential COVID watch this morning, but eyes on DC too, where Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are expected to continue stimulus talks this week. Christine Romans joins us now. Christine, I have to say, we are a long way from Friday when <laughs> markets tremored. And I think yeah. part of the fear was, is he even going to be able to be well enough to be on the ballot come, uh, come election time? So we've shifted. But my view is sentiment already shifted on Friday when we heard rumblings about an agreement perhaps coming on yeah. stimulus for airlines. What do you make of it? I agree with you, Julia. And I think that maybe the president being the most famous or highest ranking American uh, uh, political figure to have COVID maybe put some new energy into stimulus talks. And the president on Saturday was tweeting about getting a deal done. So maybe he's going to use his influence uh, this time. Some 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 of the negotiations this summer, the, the leadership from the White House had been lacking and it had really been uh, Senate Republicans and uh, Nancy Pelosi's team who had been who'd been really hammering this out. Maybe the president is going to use some of his political capital to get something done. So maybe the shift now is from a week week ago, we were talking about a contested election and a peaceful transfer of power. And today, again, we're talking about a president who has COVID, who appears to be recovering, and maybe new energy and stimulus talks. Interesting that you mentioned the peaceful transfer of power, because there was a poll done over the weekend, uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, in particular, putting Vice President Biden 14 points ahead. Now, yeah. they've been consistently ahead of the other polls, we should say. And it's it's not so high if you look at the polls on average. But I do think perhaps, and I know you and I agree on this, that, you know, perhaps markets are looking at this and it's not about future policy. It's simply about having a decision come election day and not having a contested election. Absolutely. Wall Street hates a contested election more than it hates Joe Biden's uh, economic plans or the possibility of, of potentially higher taxes, corporate taxes or something down the road. A contested election where you have a very tight race and you have weeks of, of courtroom drama and anxiety and division, and division in this country is something that CEOs don't want to see, investors don't want to see. It's just not good for the country. So as you see that, that gap widening in those polls, that gives a little bit of relief to investors who are worried about the potential for a contested election or, or even a long time getting your election results that allows division to grow and allows misinforma misinformation and conspiracies to grow in the, in the ether in the United States. So I think that those polls are definitely part of the mood here this morning as well. I agree with you.
Yeah, and then they can worry about a democratic sweep, a clean exactly. sweep here, and what that would mean for policy, but that comes later. Christine Romans, thank you for that. You are welcome. All right, here are some of the other stories making headlines around the world. France is reimposing tight restrictions in the greater Paris area to try to slow a surge in coronavirus cases. Starting Tuesday, all bars will be closed for 15 days as the area goes on maximum alert. Restaurants can remain open if they follow certain precautions. India, meanwhile, has outlined an ambitious new plan to vaccinate 250 million of its citizens against coronavirus by next July. The country is second in the world in terms of number of COVID cases, but there's been a steady decline in daily infections. More than 100,000 people in India have died of the virus. It's Golden Week in China and tourism is on the rise. In just the first four days of the holiday, officials say there were 425 million domestic trips. Our Will Ripley joins us now live from Hong Kong with all the details. Will, people enthusiastically travelling domestically, it seems, are they spending as enthusiastically? Well... Yes and no, they are spending, but in smaller numbers than what was seen in China last year, Julia. Still, the tourism numbers in China, because of the fact that they're not allowing in international visitors, they're, they're far below normal. They're down nearly a third from last year. Uh, this is according to the new figures that are out from China's Ministry of Culture and Tourism. They, they said that 425 million Chinese hit the road from Thursday to Sunday. Those are the first uh, four days of the eight-day national holiday. That's a drop from 542 million in the same period last year. But when you look at the social media posts uh, from people in China, on Chinese social media, and you see these you know, tourist sites that are full again, you see roads that are packed with cars, it is such a drastic difference versus what uh, was, we were seeing earlier this year, you know, over the three-day holiday period back in May, uh, when basically the entire country was, or at least most of the country, was in lockdown. So there's encouraging news for the rest of us around the world that in the country that was the original epicenter of the pandemic, uh, life is getting back to normal. And you can see it in, you know, just the visuals and the numbers. Uh, but tourism revenue still is down. Uh, you're talking about four, uh, $45.9 billion that has been spent so far. Uh, that means that fewer Chinese people were traveling and their average spending per tourist dropped as well by about 12%. Uh, so this is basically showcasing that consumers in China and likely all around the world are basically not spending as much as they did previously. And this is partially because people are nervous. They're nervous about what the next 12 months are going to bring, Julia. And so some of that kind of uh, supplemental spending, the tourism spending and, and whatnot is uh, is down in China and it could be a bellwether for the rest of us around the world. Yeah, but you made a great point, Will, the stark contrast between those that are stepping up restrictions in areas like Europe, here in the United States, of course, the challenges remain. It's a reason to be optimistic if you handle COVID correctly. Will yeah. Ripley in Hong Kong, thank you for that update there. So to come here on First Move, we speak to the CEO of Regeneron, whose antibody cocktail was used to help treat President Trump this past weekend, and curtains for Cineworld, the world's second biggest cinema chain announcing sweeping closures. But will the curtains ever rise again? We've got the details. Stay with us.
Welcome back to First Move live from New York, where U.S. stocks look set for early session gains as we await word on whether President Trump will be discharged from hospital today. The White House chief of staff saying within the hour that the president continues to make, quote, unbelievable health progress. Key, of course, for investors, along with signs that Trump's illness will jumpstart talks perhaps on further economic aid. Wall Street set to bounce after a week close on Friday due to those concerns. The S&P, though, was able to post its first gain in five weeks. President Trump is being treated with an extensive array of drugs. The list include two experimental and a steroid treatment that at least one large randomized study shows does help coronavirus patients. But that caused some confusion among medical experts since the drug should not be given to anyone who is not ill enough to justify the downside effects or the potential downsides. The steroid reduces inflammation, but in doing so can also impair the patient's ability to fight off infection. Regeneron's antibody cocktail is one of two experimental therapies that the president has taken. The treatment uses lab-created COVID-19 antibodies to boost the immune response. It's not yet got approval from the FDA, the president was given a dose on a compassionate use, quote, basis. Last week, Regeneron announced that data from a late stage trial suggested the cocktail was safe and appeared to reduce symptoms and viral load. Those results have not yet been peer reviewed. All right, plenty to discuss. Joining us now is Dr. George Yankopoulos. He's founding scientist, president and chief scientific officer of Regeneron. George, fantastic to uh, have you on the show once again. I'm sure that was one phone call the company wasn't expecting. Talk me through what happened and and what specific dose the president took. I believe it's the larger that you're trialing. Right. First, let me just remind you and the listeners that uh, my co-founder, Len Schleifer, and I are both physician scientists. And we remain the only major biopharma company started and run by physician scientists, which we believe gives a special focus on both the science and the patients. And also that the approach that we use here for COVID-19, which resulted in the treatment given to the president, is not uh, based on some experimental approach that's never worked before, but based on technologies that we've been pioneering here at Regeneron for over 20 years, which has led to some of the world's most important and safest medicines, fighting blindness, cancer, heart disease, allergic diseases like asthma, and including for Ebola. Uh, We showed that a very similar cocktail was very effective against Ebola, which is, as we all know, a much more universally lethal disease than this. So there's a lot of reasons to have confidence in this approach um, that was now recently given to the president and on which we just recently released our first important clinical trial results. And I appreciate everything that you've said there and some of the history, too. But at this stage, we should also point out to viewers that it doesn't have FDA approval and that you are still in the trialing stages of this. Yeah, it was given to the president under the FDA's compassionate use mechanism, uh, which is an appropriate way to give uh, medicines at this stage to people who are in need. And have you heard from the president's team this weekend? You know, uh, what we hear is um, very much, I think, what you've been hearing, that he's been doing exceedingly well um, and that they're very optimistic. Is there any um, is there any concern from your side when you give somebody compassionate use, um, 
use of, of a drug like this, that when it gets used in conjunction with lots of other things, you're never really going to know whether it's your specific drug that's helping here or just one or many? Well, I think that um, the president's team is able to follow certain specific markers. None of the other medicines that he's been given, whether it's remdesivir or more recently dexamethasone, none of them have actually been shown to have direct antiviral activity. That is, they don't lower the virus levels directly, as opposed to um, the findings from uh, our, our, our trials, which actually indicate dramatic ability of our treatment to lower viral levels. So the president's team will be able to follow, and I'm sure they have been following viral load levels, and that'll give them some insight as to whether there's been a specific um, uh, potential benefit from our treatment. And as, of course, we all know, when you're fighting a viral disease and it's a race between the virus taking over and your, your body beating it, um, dropping viral levels would be a great indicator that the that the battle is going in the right direction and that the patient is winning. So I'm sure they are doing things like following the viral levels and that would be a indicator that our treatment is providing a benefit here and obviously it would be an indicator that the patient is doing well. And the timing of course is, is very important here of perhaps how quickly you can take this. Um, Dr. Yankopoulos, can I just confirm when you got the phone call, when, when exactly did the White House team get in touch to, to get hold of this? Yeah, I mean, we're, as physician scientists, um, we respect patient privacy and in doing so, we leave those sorts of, you know, questions uh, to, to the patient and the patient's direct physicians to answer. We're really not, it's not appropriate for us to be commenting on things like that. I understand. I'm assuming you've had a lot of requests subsequently as a result of the talk around your cocktail being used. Does that in any way impinge upon your ability to continue to do the trials? Because I guess that's where you have to prioritize your supplies at this stage. Well, we had gotten requests for compassionate use for this cocktail before. Uh, obviously, with the incredible new attention that's focused on this, this, this has created a, a big increase. The compassionate use mechanism is not intended for widespread distribution. There are other mechanisms, such as this now, um, uh, highly talked about emergency use authorization or EUA approach. Uh, this is something that I think that society now has to think about for, for our treatment, uh, whether, whether it qualifies for an EUA for wider distribution because compassionate use is not the way we would give it more broadly. But I think that obviously if the president's team um, evaluated all the available agents out there and thought that the benefit risk warranted it, uh, that there was evidence that it might be effective and that the risk was relatively low. I think that we have to think whether um, it is appropriate that, that the question is answered the same way more broadly for more patients and that we make this available under an EUA. And obviously we have to talk to the regulators about that. Can you give us a sense of how far away you are in terms of getting FDA approval? Because one of the, the criticisms that I've seen is that actually, and we talked about it the last time you were on the show, it's actually difficult to create these antibodies in a lab environment. And actually the expense of doing that, even just on a per-dose basis, will mean that actually this won't be available for, for broader use. It will be pretty specific and targeted to the number of people that can, can get hold of it. Yeah, well, remember... 
unlike a vaccine, which is given very broadly trying to protect everybody, literally hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, here, this is a treatment that could be targeted to those patients who are sick. So you don't have to uh, make as much of it or to people who are really at high risk because it can also act as a very effective, potentially uh, preventative or prophylactic. But once again, you wouldn't give it broadly to everybody. You'd give it in a targeted fashion. Uh, we've entered into a major, we are one of the world's largest biomanufacturers, uh, but we recognize that our ability to meet the potential need was not enough. And uh, we were actually approached with, by somebody who's normally a major competitor of ours that we respect greatly, Roche Genentech, and they offered to join forces to increase production. Um, so we, we are on track to, to, to deliver uh, 300,000 doses by the end of this year, and together with Roche Genentech, we hope to pre be producing about that many, about 250,000, 300,000 doses a month, uh, while the demand may even still exceed that. That's still a substantial amount that in a targeted fashion, we believe, uh, if the drug is, is really working and, and, and having the effects that we all hope that it would, it could be doing a lot of good for a lot of people. And I don't want to um, push you on the politics of this because clearly it garnered a lot of attention over the weekend. But just in terms of who you would select to be using this in a real world situation, if we look at the Secret Service agents that were in an enclosed space with the president in that car, just in terms of proximity and use of this, would you be recommending those individuals that have had exposure potentially to COVID-19 could take this antibody cocktail potentially? Now, I don't know if it's my position to recommend who, who would be taking it or not. I know I've gone on the record as saying that I, I think that the safety, we have to remember that this approach uh, and, and these kinds of medicines are among the safest uh, medicines that the world can produce. And um, it seems like the, the very low risk of taking such a medicine warrants its utilization in settings where people are at high risk. And I, I've gone on record as saying that if it was me, uh, and I was either exposed or I was infected, I think I would definitely take it because knowing the data as well as I know, I think that the, the potential benefit here far outweighs the risk. Um, so that's how I would answer it for myself. I'm not sure how, I, I would leave it to everybody's physician uh, to consider the data and consider whether they want to make a compassionate use request. But as I said, that's not a, a mechanism to allow for widespread use to lots of people right now. No, I understand your point. It has to be more targeted. And, and just in terms of the study, uh, and you mentioned right at the beginning, look, you've had proven success fighting diseases like Ebola. If you could compare and contrast the results that you're seeing, even just in the early stage, and I'll reiterate, this is not peer reviewed. How are they comparing in terms of efficacy and, and success? Well, we took both cocktails, for example, the Ebola cocktail and this cocktail through various pre-human, pre-clinical studies, including through non-human primates. And you know, they were both very powerful cocktail approaches that could essentially, if given prophylactically, they could result in sterile immunity, that is, they could completely prevent any infection. And when given to already infected animals, they could rapidly drop viral loads um, and help, and help um, uh, 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 speed up progress um, recovery. Uh, that's what the early clinical trial results suggest as well. Uh, let me remind you, for the highest risk patients, we showed that uh, within a week, we could drop viral levels a hundredfold 
compared to standard of care. I think that anybody who has this virus would want to have the help of an immune booster that can help drop your, your, your viral levels so dramatically because fundamentally that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to wipe out and get rid of the virus uh, and anybody who's infected can use all the help that they can get. I should comment on the, I heard you in the instruction talking about giving dexamethasone and the concern that it might actually hurt the immune response against the virus. I'm not, I'm not speaking for the president's team, but one thing to consider is if you already have our antibodies on board, uh, which are essentially substituting for your own immune response, mm. then you might not be as concerned about suppressing the immune response because you now have an immune response that is actually manyfold more powerful than one that you might be able to generate How using other approaches as well. Yeah, you have to balance all these factors. Dr. Yankopoulos, fantastic to have you on the show with us once again. And uh, thank you for talking this all through with us. The founding scientist, president and chief scientific officer of Regeneron. And we look forward to hearing that FDA approval soon, sir. Great to have you with us. Thank you. All right. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running this Monday after a historic and pretty unsettling few days, not only here in the United States, of course, but around the globe as we monitor the health of U.S. President Donald Trump. The major averages are bouncing back after Friday's losses when we first heard of President Trump's COVID diagnosis. Remember, we got a weak read as well on the U.S. jobs data on Friday, too, with job gains falling dramatically compared to the month before. We still added jobs, of course, but it was softening based on month-by-month readings. The permanent job losses also are now approaching some 4 million workers. The big question, will all of this help seal the deal on fresh emergency aid in Washington, D.C.? Negotiations are set to continue this week. The VIX volatility index is meanwhile ticking higher once again today and the U.S. dollar is broadly lower, helping all bounce back from Friday's 4% losses. So it was a real risk-off day on Friday. Word, however, on whether the president will be discharged from hospital later today could be key to where we end today's session. Alicia Levine joins us now. She's chief strategist at BNY Mellon. Alicia, fantastic to have you on the show as always. What's your read on the market this morning? Hi, Julia. Great to see you, as always. Look, what's really interesting here is that the stimulus talks were really dead on Thursday night of last week. And then the president's diagnosis and then subsequent, uh, you know, admission to Walter Reed Hospital kind of revived the talks and put people in a different frame of mind. Because really, there are a lot of uh, political there's a, there are a lot of political lives here that are, could be at risk at the election. And so what the market is pricing in, it's really interesting. Either we're getting a nice size stimulus bill in the next one or two weeks, or we're going to have a huge stimulus bill because the markets are pricing in a Democratic sweep of both the White House and the Senate. The White House needs both houses, both houses of Congress in order to pass tax law and stimulus bills. And that's what the market is pricing in right now. So the market sees stimulus coming either way, a nice chunk now or something even larger in the first quarter of 2021. And that's why you're seeing stocks rally. 
Oh, that's a bold statement, because you could say, looking at what that poll this weekend from The Wall Street Journal, that actually what the market's doing here is looking at this and saying the likelihood now is that we do see Joe Biden take the White House. So we don't have the weeks of uncertainty for markets post the election if it's contested. Are we really pricing in a democratic sweep? Because that could have all sorts of implications, higher taxes, more regulation, perhaps. Are we pricing? That? That's right. And and actually, it's really countervailing. So I'll, I'll, I'll direct your attention and your audience's attention to the betting markets. I like the betting markets because they tend to be more accurate. And if you remember in the UK, the betting markets also predicted the Brexit vote in 2016. The betting markets here in the US predicted the Donald Trump victory. What you saw before the Tuesday night um, debate was that the, the Senate was going to stay Republican and the swing states were in the margin of victory, uh, the, uh, within the margin of, of error for Biden. So it really could have gone either way. And we were looking at a pretty close election, but with the Senate staying Republican, after that debate on Tuesday night, the, the betting markets all of a sudden widened out and started pricing in a Democratic sweep. So what does that mean? It means two things. It means probably a huge fiscal stimulus in the first quarter, but it also means giant tax increases on the order of about $2 trillion, which would be retroactive to January 1st, 2021. And that would be a countervailing impact on the market. You're looking at higher taxes on corporates, on the individual rate, on capital gains, as well as the dividend rate. And so you have stimulus on one side and the probability of higher taxes on the other. Yeah. And at this moment, we're suggesting that stimulus wins that argument, at least for now. Do you think the Democrats would raise taxes of any form rather than just borrow if we're still in a recession? Because we can talk about stock markets, but if we look at the underlying economy here, there's still a deep hole in terms of the job market. There's still big challenges. We're still in a pandemic. There's some tough decisions to make here. There are really tough decisions to make here. Look, it's really clear, and you and you brought this up in your opening segment, you know, that the labor report on Friday really showed a slowing, and we're going to have on the order of 10 million workers here permanently unemployed because those jobs are simply going to disappear. The entertainment and leisure, leisure industry simply will not recover at 100% of the original employment rate of February. So we really do need stimulus here to help these people as they retool and retrain and get become into different different industries. That's really important. The other thing is neither Democrats nor Republicans here are too worried about deficits. Rates are going to be low for, you know, maybe our lifetimes. I say that in jest, but really for the next few years. And that means larger deficits can be funded with very low rates and very low yields. And so neither side is too worried about debt. And so you're right, we could just borrow that as well. And it may be more palatable. Both sides, I think, would be willing to do that. Yeah, and it seems like uh, President Trump's illness has energized his push as well towards getting something done before the election rather than after. So we'll see. Alicia, great to have you with us. Alicia Levine, the chief strategist nice at BNY Mellon. Same likewise, as always. All right, coming up after the break, an update on President Trump and a possible discharge from hospital. We'll take you there for the latest.
Welcome back to First Move. You're looking at live pictures outside the hospital where the president remains, the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center there. It comes as the president's chief of staff says a decision will be made today whether to discharge President Trump from that medical center in Maryland there. And you can see some supporters remaining outside. We will take you there for an update. But for now, let's get more on the president's treatments. As we discussed earlier, he's received a number of different therapies, including two experimental drugs and a steroid. CNN's health reporter Jacqueline Howard joins us now. Jacqueline, great to have you with us. Just walk us through all the treatments that the president has taken, because there was some suggestion that his condition would have to be pretty serious in order to require this kind of cocktail. What do you make of it? That's right, Julia. So the three main medications that the president has been given that can give us a little bit of insight into his condition include that experimental monoclonal antibody cocktail from the company Regeneron, and also the antiviral drug remdesivir and the corticosteroid dexamethasone. We should have a list of everything the president has taken so far during the course of his illness. But with those three medications, They let us know that his physicians are really tackling his illness from different angles. The monoclonal uh, antibody therapy can help and it's the hope is that it can help prevent the illness from advancing. With remdesivir, the hope is that it can speed recovery. With dexamethasone, that's really an effort to impact inflammation. So this is a sign that the president's physicians are really doing all they can to tackle this from different angles. And with dexamethasone in particular, that is typically given to patients with more severe COVID-19. So that can you know let us know really about the level of concern here when it comes to the president. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Jacqueline Howard, great to have you with us. Thank you for that update there. Now, Joe Johns is outside Walter Reed Medical Center in Maryland for us as well. Joe, I know you've been working incredibly hard as well all weekend and overnights and all sorts. Great to have you there for us. We all hope that the president is recovering at miraculous speed here, but I think there is a fear that perhaps if he leaves today, it could be too soon. There is a concern that it's too soon, and there's also a concern that if and if the president is released, uh, he might find himself having to come back because, as you know, there's that eight to ten day window in COVID uh, right after a person's uh, becoming infected that you could have a real problem. But what we are told is that the president is meeting this morning with his doctors and they're going to make a decision about whether or not to let him go back over to the White House. One of the biggest concerns is about medical equipment, if necessary. As you know, the president is getting a variety of different uh, medications, and one of them, remdesivir, is recommended for patients who are staying at a hospital so that they can be monitored because there are a bunch of different uh, things that could happen. Uh, you know, indications that there could be problems if this person is not watched very closely. So the president uh, hasn't said too much about that. What he's been doing, he's been tweeting all morning long, mostly, quite frankly, about the election, encouraging his supporters to vote. It's clear the president has a lot of energy this morning and uh, he would love to get back to work. Uh, At least we've been told. Yeah, they are certainly promoting the, pre- the message that uh, Donald Trump is back in action. Um, Joe, there was clearly a lot of debate caused by the president's drive by yesterday, the fear that perhaps Secret Service agents had been put 
in unnecessary harm. I guess the same thing goes again if the president currently suffering from COVID is taken back to the White House. There are implications, health implications for for those around him. There are. And, you know, if you look at the pictures from the drive by last night, it was essentially a political photo op for the president getting out of the hospital. We're also told he's very bored sitting in there watching TV, critiquing, critiquing the news programs. But if you look at the video, what you can see is the individual sitting in the passenger seat, in the front seat, uh, is in full protective gear. Now, that appears to be a Secret Service agent. But the concern is because they're in that enclosed space with the windows up and the presumption is that the president continues to be contagious, individuals in that car potentially could also contract COVID from the president. So uh, a bunch of concern there. The White House has said, in fact, that the people who were with the president were given clearance uh, to do that by the medical team. But the president obviously is the type of individual who Secret Service agents would have a very hard time saying no to. So there's sort of that question of the extent of the influence on uh, the people who are guarding him and the long-term health of Secret Service agents. And as you know, by the way, Julia, there have been other examples of people working for the Secret Service, for example, at the president's rallies, who have also contracted COVID or at least tested positive, including the president's big rally earlier this year uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Julia? Yes, in the line of duty, it seems. Joe Johns, thank you so much for that. All right, coming up on First Move, the latest blow to the movie industry, why the world's second largest cinema chain is suspending its operations. The details next. Curtains at Cineworld, the firm which owns Regal Cinemas in the United States and a chain of movie theatres in the UK, temporarily closing all its locations in both nations. The decision comes after the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, was delayed until next year. The closures will affect up to 45,000 workers. Anna Stewart is live in London for us with all the details on this. Anna, devastating news, of course, for, for all of those workers. The COVID issues, of course, a problem, but also no movies to lure people there anyway. So many issues and cinemas like this one in Leicester Square are going to shut on Thursday, along with hundreds in the UK and the United States. As you say, Cineworld have said 45,000 of their employees will be impacted by this. A plethora of challenges here, all COVID related, really. Uh, whether it's the fact that in New York, a key market for Cineworld, for the Regal cinema chain, cinemas have not been allowed to reopen. Markets that have, like the UK, well, consumer appetite is incredibly low. Some people don't want to go to an indoor cinema to sit down for fear of catching coronavirus. Others are watching the pennies, given all the problems with job security at the moment, particularly looming over the next few months. Uh, And of course, others are working from home. They're not coming into towns. They're not coming into cities. Cinemas, meantime, have had to cut capacity by around 50% to allow for social distancing measures. And then there's possibly the biggest problem of all. There are no new movie releases, no big blockbusters, no must-see movies. I think the decision to delay the, the new James Bond movie for the second time from this November, pushing it all the way into next year, April 2021, I think that's another big issue for this cinema and many others out there. Yeah, I agree. And how specific is it to Cineworld? 
You look at the balance sheet on this one, the debt levels, and there's ouch sensation created. Yeah, I mean, these are challenges faced by the entire sector, but there is little doubt that Cineworld entered this pandemic in a harder position than many. It had a debt of $3.5 billion on its balance sheet at the end of last year, largely through its acquisition of the US cinema chain uh, Regal in 2018. That debt burden has ballooned. It's now at $4 billion in their first half uh, half year results and little surprise there through all the cash burn they've had. Um, other cinema chains are facing challenges. This one was already on rocky ground. The big question, of course, is when will they be able to reopen some of their cinemas? Is it at the end of this year? Is it next spring? Uh, and the statement we have from the CEO pretty much just said, well, looking ahead, it's as to when the movies can release, as to when cinemas and key markets like New York can reopen, i.e. there's just no time there yet. Julia? Yeah, there's just no clarity on future reopening uh, opportunities or arrangements. And that's part of the huge issue here. You can't promise anything if you ask for financing. Mm. Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you so much for that. All right. Now, one of my favorite stories of the weekend, the term Proud Boys taking on a whole new meaning after a number of gay men took over the far right group's Twitter hashtag, flooding it with photos of their families and messages of love and acceptance. Proud Boy members are known for misogynistic, Islamophobic, transphobic, anti-immigration and anti-Semitic beliefs. The president, if you remember, refused to condemn them at last week's debate. The leader of the Proud Boys says apparently they're not offended by the move to swap their hashtag with gay pride, insisting that the group is not homophobic. I think that was a bold move. Love over hate every day. That's it for the show. You've been watching First Move. I'm Julia Chatterley. Stay safe and we'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.